so Daniel Hillard is obviously a criminal, and we got to get that out of the way up top. Yes. Terrible person. Just not a good guy. No. Horrible. Truly, if he's played by anybody other than Robin Williams, he, he detestable. Goes, yeah, go yeah. to jail. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Pierce Brosnan is playing Daniel. Dramatically different movie. Oh totally. my gosh! Can, oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. And and but he has to put on a fake American accent. The original <laughs> Alias Madame Doubtfire. <laughs> that's very funny. And the original Alias Madame Doubtfire. I think that is. I mean, the the character is kind of more of a schmuck, uh, is mm. my understanding, and is is more of just like a regular guy. <laughs> yeah, not, pretty pretty schmucky. Yeah. Um. I, this is just so. I had to pick this movie. I mean, we already did. I'm one. glad you did. I'm, I am too. I'm, I'm glad to have come back to it because we, my thoughts have definitely changed. I mean, we already did one Robin in this impromptu family film marathon. And this is, I was trying to think of like family films that are actually like appeal to me. Um, Cause there's not a, I mean, you know, my, my uh, dad's bad boundaries with movies, the movies that I thought were cool as a kid were movies for grownups already. Sure. Uh, so not a ton of like kids movies that like stick out to me, but like this and a few other films I'll talk about when we get to business time or not business time, uh, expanding the syllabus. Mm-hmm. Um, this really appealed to me as a kid and, you know, having a divorced mom and dad, mm-hmm. I think that definitely had a lot to do with it. Um, but yeah, this was, this is like foundational, uh, movie for me. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this film. It's burned into my mind. Like as, as, as we get to the, the house, with, I mean, from the start with the Figaro, I'm like, yeah, I know every beat of this. We get to the 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 pony eating the soccer cake. Like, yep, remember, <laughs> I remember the visual of the grass texture on that cake. Right, right. I remember Robin, you know, uh, wrapping the House of Pain on top of the the kitchen table. Like, it's all burned, seared into my mind. Yes. Uh, speaking of searing, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire's uh, bosom getting torched. Yep. Do I smell burning rubber? And one day no. as a woman, I'm already no. having hot flashes. flashes. Um, yeah, I, I like this movie a lot and I was really excited, uh, to revisit it. Cause I, it's, it's been quite a while. Um, maybe a year after Robin died, I rewatched mm-hmm. it with Sanford mm-hmm. and that was the last time I watched it. So okay. it's been about 10 years, nine I, years. I haven't seen it. Since, I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. Oh wow. I, I think I was probably in my late teens last time Same. I saw it. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So real long time for both yeah, of you guys. Did you guys have like a relationship to this as kids? No, I saw it a few times. I mean, I think it was one of those VHS, you mm-hmm. know, um, taped off of um, HBO kind of movies sure. that I had in the collection, and we'd come back. I'd come back to it because I'm a voracious rewatcher of films. But I think maybe I had a. I, I think I had friends who were probably kind of like you, Dalton, really into this movie, mm-hmm. and you know, because of Robin. And I, I feel like maybe I watched it with one. I don't even remember watching this of my own accord. Okay, you know, this wasn't. Yeah, the dad was not a Robin Williams guy, and mm-hmm. so. I'm not going to find a lot of airtime for him in the house. So I, I, I assume I may have watched it one time at a friend's house or something. Gotcha. Or caught it later on mm-hmm. cable. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Big stand up guy, big yeah. divorced dad energy. So, yeah, of course, this one was a, a heavy re, rewatch rotation. Yeah. It's like this and the mummy. Mm, Blade. Yeah. yeah. God, I've seen all three of those movies so many times. Gotcha. Uh, and, and hence lies your aesthetic. There you go. I right. know. That it's is responsible that. for a lot. What movie and why are we doing this? Hello. Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. Uh, we are continuing with our impromptu sort of um, off-the-cuff family film marathon with a host pick from Dalton. Thanks, Dalton. And uh, that pick is uh, Robin Williams, uh, Chris Columbus, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, others. Um, Mara Wilson. Mara Wilson. Harry Firestein. Harry Firestein. Man, man. Harvey's so funny in this movie. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire. And so uh, Robin and Drag, we're doing that thing right now. Um, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. But don't worry, when I lose my kids, I'll come up with some very clever alias. And it took us a very long time to get to this movie. God, yeah. You know, 10 years. All things considered, 11. this is primo good trash. Yeah. Oh, a drag comedy? That's, yeah, our bread and butter. That's right. We in- haven't done enough of them, honestly. We've only done this and Tu Wong Fu. Yeah, how's that even possible? Weird. Hmm. Um, anyway, um, we've already told you who we were. I'm going to tell you what we're about to do. This is a re- this is an analysis show, not a review show. Uh, yeah, uh, jump, jump up, jump around. Um, this is an analysis show, and that does mean we're going to spoil the end. Whether or not Daniel gets his kids back or not, we're not going to tell you if you've slept on this 1990 film. And so, well, 93. This ni- is its 30th anniversary 93, this year. 93, 30 years old. Yeah. 
Wow. I know. Tell me about it. I feel. Well, we'll see you all next week. (laughs) On that note. I I just started decomposing. Um, Uh But we are going to do a synopsis, which won't have spoilers. We'll do thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which don't have spoilers. We'll do uh, the Expand the Syllabus, which is a game which might spoil some thematic stuff. And then we get down to business, and that's when spoiler bets are off. So there you go for that. I feel like I'm doing the entire introduction on Quaaludes today. You're definitely, yeah. Very slow motion version of this. Yeah. I don't know why. It's... You're dragging your body out of the you country need more club coffee. and into the coop. There probably needs to be an IV of coffee, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, so that's... You think what... you're driving miraculously, but when the cops get to your house later, you'll learn that it was a uh, terrible path of destruction your entire <laughs> drive home. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Um, Thumbs up, thumbs down, review. We've all seen this movie a bunch of times. I'll let you go with Last Dalton since you're the picker. You the want f- a synopsis? No. Oh, synopsis. Let's do that, I guess. You Why get n- sidetracked and then forget the synopsis. All I, the think, I think it's what happens. Or you're getting senile. Uh, column A, column B. <laughs> go ahead. What is the synopsis, Arthur? When Daniel receives reduced custody of his children, he is desperate to get time with them. Enter Mrs. Doubtfire, a near Mary Poppins level nanny, and Daniel's alter ego. Indeed, indeed. So there you go. Um, that is the movie. Um, I, I think everyone knows this movie. I, I can't see there's humans in the world who are unaware of this I mean, film. Tr- truly, uh, kind of your point about bona fide good trash. I mean, this feels like a top 10 most recognizable 90s. I mean, it's probably near the top of Robin's filmography for a lot of people, right? Yeah, I feel like I mean, the, this is Doubtfire. The yeah. knowledge this movie has of Norma Desmond is the knowledge that we all have of this movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. Good way to put it. I mean, truly, if you are to be on Wikipedia and start to search the word Mrs. It pops up. Mrs. The Honorific for a Married Woman. Number two, Mrs. Doubtfire. Correct. Yeah, those that, those are the entries. Yeah, when you when you look at misses, I mean, this film was a colossal hit. I think it was like the second highest grossing movie of '93. Huge, yeah, yeah. Next it, to Jurassic Park, it, yes, yes, it did four hundred and forty-one million dollars worldwide. The off number of one movie is a dinosaur action adventure. The number two movie is Robin Williams in drag in 1993. Talking about dinosaurs by the end, we used to be a country, etc. <laughs> Yeah, and what then, I wouldn't give for those. If you're taking your shots, dear listener, <laughs> for a this is your like chance. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're uh, looking for the regularly scheduled bits, they've arrived. <laughs> uh, yeah, we all have a relationship with this film. Okay, sure. um, pick her of the film. Go first. Why not? Yeah. Okay. Um, Why'd you pick it? Because it means a lot to me. Truly, I, I don't even know that it's a great film. I think it's a good film. I think it's a solid, serviceable studio comedy. Mm-hmm. It's sturdy. It's robust. It's got legs. You look like a fullback. They go all the way down to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, it looks like a fullback, you know? It's built like a brick shit house. It's not gonna win any beauty <laughs> not gonna win any beauty contests, but god damn it does it deliver. Uh, are we body shaming Robin Williams? Uh, or no, and I wouldn't dream of it. Uh, a handsome man. Um yeah, I it just it is so baked into me. I, I don't know that I can like fully get um you know, I, I tried my best to put on the critic a hat and, and glasses. And I, you know, I, I was just kind of swept up in it the whole time. I really was. I got bored a couple of times. It's okay. I was able to resist. That's good. When we'll talk about it. I, cause it's, it's not without its problems. And the main problem is Daniel's an asshole, like mm-hmm. as written and as improvised, mm-hmm. like Robin, like his mm-hmm. improvs as the character, like it just goes to show you kind of the, the problem with Robin Williams as a movie star is that any character played by Robin is going to have a little dash of Robin. And, Robin was a complicated guy to have a relationship with, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I imagine bits mm-hmm. were abounding. Uh, but it's it's an interesting project. You know, him and his then wife, uh, who he was married to for you know, like 25 years, uh, his his sort of famous daughter, Zelda, that 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 person's mom. Uh, she's the producer on this. She, they they read the book or she found the book and, you know, was like this is a great vehicle for Robin. And, you know, the two of them as a production team kind of spearheaded this film. So I, I think it's interesting as sort of a, a star vehicle uh, kind of perspective, because this is, I think, the big star vehicle for him. Right. I mean, he spends you know, the eighties we, we last week we talked or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Popeye, his breakout or not breakout Morgan Mindy's his breakout, but like his, his first starring film role. And then by the end of the eighties, you've got what? Um, oh my God. Good morning, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I kept wanting to say raising Arizona. Good morning, Vietnam. And a couple of other sort of not 
full-on comedies, you know, gestures towards a, a more robust movie star career. Well, even Hollywood nine, hadn't figured out how to use Robin Williams yeah. completely. I mean, 1990, he does Dead Poets Society. I can remember if yeah. that was 89 or 90. Yeah, so it's right there in that, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's, they're figuring him out. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the one, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is... And it, it is just such a perfect marriage of performer mm-hmm. and project. It, it truly doesn't work without him. And again, that is, it's weird that it doesn't work without him because even as in the text of the film, like he comes across as an asshole more than once. And it is purely on Robin's charisma and charm mm-hmm. that like you're able to get over that and get past yeah. it and like see through to the humanity of the character. Um, but, uh, you know, on paper, it's not a good story. It's it's kind of, you know, gives this guy a bunch of green lights for some like very destructive and problematic behavior. Uh, and yet it was a world renowned family film uh, hit studio comedy. And I am fascinated by the juxtaposition of those two things. And it, it is all centered on Robin. Yep. Um, because I, I, you know, you see people who've read the book talk about the book and all of the problems in the movie are just rampant in the book and mm. like much more of an issue. As, as I understand mm. it and read the text, so I can't say for certain. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, like what you could get away with in uh, in the '90s, and and what was you know people wouldn't bat an eye at movie logic. You know, when when you when you are as as much as this is r- a realistic film in some ways, and in so far as it takes place in a, nominally the real world, there's a lot of formalist choices as far as like leaps in logic go, mm-hmm. right and in terms of keeping things on that that movie logic sitcom logic sort of footing i mean and that is maybe the the biggest weakness of the film is that it's it's big set pieces are just shit straight out of sitcoms uh, i mean you even see a sitcom uh, broad city go on to ape this film's like dramatic climax in an episode of several you know years later oh like a there's yeah two a character being two different people at a bar to, to at a to be restaurant at two different dinner engagements at the same restaurant right and it even ends with her the whole time yeah alana glazer does the the sally field the whole time bit um anyway getting sidetracked i do like this film a lot still i think it's really funny i think robin's charming mm-hmm. i think the kids are great mara wilson matthew lawrence i forget the name of the actor that plays Lydia because she doesn't have a huge career. Oh, she's in Independence Day, though. She has a run yeah. in the 90s, yeah. She has a yeah. run. She's in matinee. She's in Independence I mean, Day. Her and Mara Wilson both really have a run and they're kind of done, mm-hmm. which, you know, good for Mara Wilson. She's an author now and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think they're just like, there's real chemistry between Sally Field and those kids and Robin and those kids. They feel like... It's Lisa Jacob. Lisa Jacob, thank mm-hmm. you. They feel like a real family unit, truly. Yeah. And yeah. that, like, gets you so much juice out of this film. And Pierce Brosnan is like well-rounded and interesting as Stu. He's not a a, a lazier, less interesting film makes Stu a villain and yep. Mm-hmm. Daniel and yep. Miranda get back together. Uh, yep. Spoilers. Sorry. I, I know we said we wouldn't spoil it's this 30 film, years but old. it's We're 30 okay. years old. We're fine. We don't like, care. They don't get back together. And that's like why this is a good movie. It's, it's a realistic-ish film about divorce and I think is useful for a 90, you know, as divorce was becoming more common, I think it was a very useful tool. And they talk about that in the production of this film that that, you know, there were script versions that they were given where the, you know, the screenwriters they had come on to, to work on the, the story have kept writing Daniel and Miranda back together. And, um, uh, Robin and oh my god, what's her Marsha uh, mm. Williams? Yeah, we're both like, no, it's super important that these two like stay divorced. That's like mm-hmm. the crux. They were trying to make a movie that like seriously like dealt with divorce uh, in a way that like could still be a children's. Sally film. Field should divorce him. He should. Yeah, he's irresponsible. Yeah, yeah he's not a good guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I like this film. It looks cheap. Um, the, the makeup is incredible, but the filmmaking is very flat nineties kind of brightly lit studio mm-hmm. studio Comedy. lighting. Yeah. yeah. The, just that very, you know, the, the nineties or the fifties thing that we talk about. It's got that real artifice to it. That mm-hmm. very kind of classic Hollywood candy crunch. Mm-hmm. It's got that look, uh, which, eh, you know, but the makeup looks great. And again, all the performances are, are fantastic. Uh, and it's, uh, just a, a, a good time. I think Arthur, what about you? How do you feel about Mrs. Doubtfire? Yeah. So, uh, up front, no nostalgia goggles here. I, you know, I, like I said, I saw it once, but it was never like a thing for me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and you're right. I, I think it does have a Daniel problem, right? But it is purely on the back of Robin Williams charisma and magnetism that it lands at all. And yeah. I think, you know, as we alluded to earlier, if anybody else is in that role, it's not worth watching. Uh, but it really does as a star vehicle for Robin, just, 
purely 100% taps into everything that was special about Robin. And because of that, it helps to elevate this into something classic. Mm. I think Uh, it, it does have script problems as far as character and presentation of women and you know all those things i I agree with um but robin right i mean that's the saving grace uh and so that does a lot of heavy lifting i also think columbus's direction is really strong here uh you say it has the sitcom type thing but i think the tradition is much older than sitcom i think it is very classic hollywood Mm -hmm. i mean a lot of uh marx brothers three stooges Abbott and Costello, that screwball stuff that's starting to happen in 3040s is very rampant here. Mm. And so I think between Columbus and Robin, they're tapping into something much, you know, a longer line of comedy tradition. And it really does come off in that finale that Mm -hmm. the way that is shot, the way it's edited and that back and forth is Robin is getting more and more drunk, you know, as, as Daniel's getting more and more drunk, trying to keep up these two lies at this most pivotal moment. It's where all the stakes come from. It's where everything, you know, climax is where it should. And I think war, I was really very tense during that. Like, I, you know, I've seen the movie. I know where it's going to go, but it was still very tense on like, yeah, why is he doing this? Just why, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is, are they going to pull it off? Right. And so because I, I, I think the editing there is so smart, I think the direction and the, the scripting there is so well done. And again, Robin's ability to kind of go back and forth between these two characters so easily um, as an actor really sells that. And and again, it is in those kind of set pieces. It is in Daniel's or Robin's performance that this is super effective. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is well made. I think it's problematic uh, as a lot of movies in the nineties were this kind of stuff. Right. I mean, uh, and like you said, Daniel's not a good guy. Like I, we shouldn't want to root for him. No, and there are two, I think, kind of pivotal moments. There's a really good moment with, uh, you know, Doubtfire and uh, Miranda. Miranda talking, and Miranda's really kind of laying out, this is what he did wrong. Rob, they're both so good in that scene. Yeah. And then the film backtracks on that in the story, right? Mm-hmm. And again, kind of makes Miranda look like the harsh, cold winch or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it does something really smart with Pierce because there's that moment at the at the bar in the in the country club where they easily could have made him the villain. A hundred percent could. And I, I was kind of thinking that's where it was going to go because it had been so long since I'd seen it. And they don't make that choice. And I think that's super smart as well. And to let it resolve with them divorced, I think is genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's also the ultimate divorce, neglectful dad fantasy as well. Yeah. Right. And and there are people who go through life that they, they have problems, they have issues, they're not great partners, but because of their attitude, they are able to kind of go through life and be well loved and people kind of overlook some of that stuff. And so there is some of that to it. But again, yeah, it is got those problematic natures, but I think it's good. I, I, I like it a lot. I laughed nonstop. I'm never bored with it. Mm. It works for me. I told Sells and I watched it together. And I told him, man, I really wanted to be on set with Robin Firestein because mm-hmm. what a day that must oh, have man. been. I'm sure they were so fun. Like, it just seems like a blast. And so, yeah, I, I, I like this a lot. I love Robin. And and you can see why he had the career that he had because of, you know, was something like this. So, yeah, big fan. Yeah, it, it's very funny. That's that. I mean, truly, truly, it is a very funny movie. I think you said good, not great. And I think it's exactly where I fall with it. It mm. is good, not great. It definitely has woman problems. And uh, including a deleted pl- secondary plot line that I'll say more about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there there's something significantly broken in that bit of it. And truly, truly, if you're looking at it again, sort of in realistic sort of eyes, Pierce Brosnan Stewart character seems like a good stepdad. Like that's the yeah. that's the stepdad these kids ought to have. That's the you know the one that they deserve. It yeah. seems you know. And uh, the movie sort of, although it doesn't turn him into a villain, sort of fails to sort of help us see that in a very clear way as well, I think. It kind but, of leaves him out at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the, the thing. That, 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 that's, yeah. And so it sort of fails in that sense. Again, it's not kind of Sally Field's character. Um, but that all being said, do I laugh? Yes. Is Mara Wilson adorable? Yes. Um, One of the great child actresses. Man, she's yeah. so yeah. good. And she is the heart yeah. of the movie, I think, in a lot of ways. Where it, his goddamn kids too. <laughs> Come on! Yes. Well, her reaction to the reveal at the dinner right is is great oh my god dude it's so good yeah, yeah she, she kills it eyes like saucers I mean, this is her first thing too 
Is it? Uh, is yeah, it? This is before yeah. Matilda. She, yeah, this is before Matilda, before Miracle on 34th Street. Like, mm. yeah, this is the one. Yeah. She's just great. Um, and Robin is hilarious. He is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I eat wood, it tastes good. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Uh. I mean, well, Arthur just talked about, like, Barbara's dry What's that? Good butter. You talked about, like, the older comedy tradition of the, you know, the two places at once, but you mentioned the Marx Brothers, and it is very Groucho, the way he's, like, constantly doing one-offs. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously siding Groucho and the Marx Brothers in this, right? I mean, yeah, he does Groucho and Harpo, right, yeah. at the, the the meeting with the social worker. Yeah, so, so good. And, and what's funny, I, again, I think the movie truly is funny, because it's so ridiculous and no one would ever do this kind of stuff. And one of the things that it does that no one would ever do is the, the just the meanness of Daniel. He's just truly mean mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. Um, but he does it as a joke and that sort of, you know, lets it be okay. And I, and I, I think it's about that real backhanded compliment thing to it that, yeah, well, I, the West Wing thing does, says a lot about this, about the, the show, the West Wing about how there's this cruelty that is couched in comedy. And there, there is a real sense of that going on, you know, you know, thanks for the time warden. Who I, says I wrote that, that line down? Who yeah. says that to your mother, ex mother in law? Yeah. yeah. You, you, no, it's just, and, but it's what every husband wants to say, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, we'll talk more about id and, uh, being unleashed in this movie later on when we get to analysis. But so it is really, really troubling as a movie, mm-hmm. but it's still, it is entertaining the whole time, and uh, which is the poison pill that is all of Hollywood anyway. But that being so, I am saying it's a poison pill, but I am also saying I had fun. So what does that say about me? Um, you know, what does it say about all of us? I don't that know. We're human. Yeah, we're that susceptible we're, that, to Hollywood's uh, charms. Yeah, and that, that, that sort of, again, deadbeat dad fantasy is something that sort of resonates. And if we go at it with that and with that kind of awareness and eyes, I think it's still fun to watch and good time. But... There are problems. Um, so there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts on Mrs. Doubtfire. We're moving on now to the next part of our show, which is called Expanding the Syllabus. And at this time, Arthur's going to tell us what Expanding the Syllabus is all about. Well, well thanks for sending to me. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Uh, and this is the part of the show where uh, we're going to expand the syllabus, which is kind of a thought experiment, wherein we, uh, we're going to assemble an academic course or module within a course uh, that's based around the assigned viewing for the week, which is Mrs. Doubtfire. And uh, that could be through adjacent texts such as books and articles to tangentially related films, stories, video games. I don't know. Is it one of the 50 songs on here about a dude dressed like a lady? Maybe. Who knows? Is it the Stones discography? We'll find out. Fun fact, Aerosmith wrote that song in reaction to seeing Mick Mars from Molly Crew. Dude looks like a lady. They saw him from behind and were like, hey, and then they were like, no, not so much. Papa's got a brand new bag. It does. <laughs> Fun yeah, they really do use like every, every pop song that would be funny for a dad yeah. and drag to yeah. have mm-hmm. playing over That's the so good. <laughs> really ridiculous. Pure, pure 90s. Yeah, anarchy. Anarchy. All right, so with that, Arthur, do you come prepared with the syllabus, my friend? Yeah, I think we would talk about screwball comedy. We, we could center this in a genre class, probably. Maybe we will. I don't know what happens in the world. Um, but I think we'd go all the way back and we'd talk about The Thin Man um, to start there, uh, which is a really fun little uh, guy and gal investigating a crime. You know, it's kind of a procedural That's thing. That's a Rathbone, right? Think so? I don't remember. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And it is that kind of high speed, quirky comedy that just rapid fire dialogue, back and forth jokes that just works uh, very well. It's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and then we'd look at uh, Katie Hepburn, uh, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, and the Philadelphia story. Uh, a lot of fun back and forth between those three and a lot of uh, what's going to happen in these situations and quirky things popping up and conflicts and who's going to get married to who and who's going to leave who. Uh, we're gonna talk a lot. Uh, I think appropriately, some like it hot. Sure. Uh, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, uh, Billy Wilder. It's a good time. Uh, pairs very well with Heath's. With this, uh, I told Dustin at one point I kind of want the movie where Robin and the bus driver get together, uh, which is very much some like it hot, right? Yeah. Uh, so. I think those uh, go well together. We talk about it's a mad, 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 mad world. Uh, this epic ensemble piece of just zaniness ensuing as people uh, make a mad dash uh, for this treasure. 
and anybody and anybody from Hollywood shows up at some point in it. Uh, finally, well, we would end uh, approximately around the time of Mrs. Doubtfire with the Coen brothers raising Arizona mm. uh, as Nick Cage just wants to have a kid, man. Uh, he's trying to be a father for his family, and uh, that leads to hilarity ensuing. And so uh, we talk about screwball comedy, where that kind of sits within comedy against romantic comedy, uh, all those sorts of uh, juxtapositions there, and have a good time with that. You Very- know, Arthur bringing up Raising Arizona gives me a chance for a corrections corner. Uh, several weeks ago now, I said Holly Hunter is from Texas. Oh, yeah. She's from Georgia. Oh. idiot. Yeah, go check out our top 10 actors of all time, and I'm sure that's where you made that mistake. Yep. Very good. Do you have a syllabus as well, Dalton? As well as a correction. I do. And in addition to my correction, I have prepared myself. It's either myself. or. You get one. No, shit. Well, in that case, Dustin, <laughs> And we're out syllabus? of time. Moving on. <laughs> um, well, we've already talked a little bit about this sort of deadbeat dad fantasy that this film represents, and I, I have developed a little bit of a divorced dad cinema for us to discuss. Uh, so we would be looking at films like uh, Big Daddy, uh, mm-hmm. which is not a proper divorced dad story, but is... You know, it's in the pocket. Uh, Hell or High Water, uh, you know, a a little action, heist action or uh, juice to go with our our divorced dad cinema. You got to have you got to have a heist movie in your dad cinema. Mm. Uh, The Beach Bum, a really great sort of, you know, deadbeat dad story. Uh, That's a fun one. Can't can't remember. I really like that movie. Uh, Moondog. Come on. That's great. I also have Boyhood on here. Ethan Hawke and Boyhood really you know, sort of compelling divorced dad character um, that like, I think really kind of captures the pros and cons of that relationship really authentically and earnestly in that film. You know, the ways in which he's still like really there for his kids and like interested in their lives and the ways in which he's, you know, kind of distant and unknowable in a way that he may be, you know, if he'd stayed in the picture that there, there might be a, a better relationship there. So really love that the depiction of the relationship in that film. Uh, another good one, uh, eighth grade, the Bo Burnham mm-hmm. film, the dad in that is really just trying his best. You know, he just wants to connect with this kid so bad and she's not having it. And there's just this, this, I actually think the mother is deceased in that film. I might not be proper mm. divorced dad cinema, uh, but you know, definitely single dad cinema. Um, and uh, the, the push and pull between the, the relationship in that film, I think, is so interesting and so heartbreaking because he's just trying so hard. And the, the fact that he's trying hard is like part of what's not working. It's, that is part of what's making her recoil from him. It's uh, it's brutal. Uh, wrap it up with Royal Tenenbaums, uh, sort of a, you know, classic uh, deadbeat uh, asshole dad story. Uh, really good one. And, and this might not have to be its own class. Uh, this could be a module. You know, it could be a the larger class could be maybe sort of an exploration of family units on film. Uh, you know, found fan fam, found families, nuclear families. and inv- I mean, they're all invented families, especially the nuclear family. That's the most invented family of them all. Um, so looking at these sort of different uh, dynamics on film, these different familial units and, and how they kind of co- coalesce together and uh, sort of unexpected ways sometimes and so you know we could probably just focus on the divorce dad stuff but I, I think that might be most useful to us as maybe a module in a larger class about sort of the family unit on film uh dustin what about you how do you how do you teach this this past daniel hillard drag movies drag movies let's just do drag sure yeah, let's just i mean that i think Biggie that is an inter- interesting sort of performance uh kind of mode i mean can you imagine somebody trying to release a children's film uh, prominently featuring drag <laughs> in our current climate. Oh, you know, we got to go back to the good old days, you know, when we didn't. Oh, wait. Um, so there you go. Uh, Some Like It Hot is going to be one of the first films, obviously, yeah. that we've yeah. already mentioned there. Uh, for that, I think Tu Wong Fu is also an interesting sort of soiree into that, and which is much more playing with the idea of the contrast of star persona versus mm-hmm. the uh, performance there with the. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Swayze? Wesley Snipes and, and Patrick Swayze uh, for that. And so I, I think that's really kind of interesting. I think the other Robin Williams drag film, uh, The Birdcage, is mm. a movie that my grandmother took me to go see um, underage, but I could go in accompanied by an apparent to this rated R film because she loved Robin Williams so much. I mean, she really, I, as I think about it, there are a few times that my grandma went to the cinemas and one of them was to catch Awakenings, uh, mm. sort of a lesser known Robin Williams yeah. from the early I 90s film. With uh, Bobby D. Bobby D. And uh, then The Birdcage. She did 
just um, she really really loved Robin Williams, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we went and saw that movie, and she just cackled and laughed the whole time. And uh, I think then we might actually look at a little bit of RuPaul Drag Race and sure. uh, think about that. Um, also, oh, gosh, the title's now escaping me. It's on Shutter. The, the Sisters of Dragula. What are they called on Shutter? Oh no, it's gone from my brain right this moment. But uh, the horror um, world of drag, which is a, a lot of fun, there as something to be looking at. Uh, uh, the Boulet Brothers Dragula, yeah, it's a, it's a series on um, on Shutter, and so I, I think that's a good nice. time as well. And just again thinking about the politics of, uh, I think Priscilla Queen, the uh, the Adventures of Priscilla Queen in the Desert would also be a good example of this with Guy Pearce and and Hugo Weaving and uh, Terrence Stamp doing drag as well. But uh, there's a number of movies and clips and things that we could look at there. But I, I she's do think the man. She's the man. Um, the, the, the current debate concerning this particular mode of address and uh, thinking about it and the ways in which it is a different thing than... I mean, I, I, I'm currently seeing sort of wrongful comparisons being drawn to blackface. And uh, well, I don't know if you guys have seen any of this nonsense. That's, that's their new thing? That's the new thing. That's, that's their new thing about why drag is bad? I, I doubt it gets traction, but you never know what bizarre way in which this happens. Um, and what's what's going on with it in terms of gender and sexuality, what's going on with it in terms of just slapstick performance, the ways in which I do think, and going back to Shakespeare, all Shakespeare's in drag. Uh, we have to think about that and uh, the sort of moral qualms that sort of surround that. And the ways in which that's interrogated, I wouldn't show the movie, but Shakespeare in Love sort of plays with some of these same kind of questions as well. And so I would probably clip bits of Shakespeare in Love for that as well. Uh, one of those wrongful winners of a uh, best, uh, best best uh, picture best picture award from the Oscars. Um, sorry, Private Ryan. S- sorry, the world. Anyway, um, can't believe that's the 1999 film that won best picture. Is it 99 or 98? Oh, you're right. It 98. is 98 because it went up against Saving Private Ryan. One in ninety nine. American Beauty. American. Oh, God, that's right. Two years back to back of just nonsense. Jesus. Um, Sorry. Well, well, what do you expect? Um, anyhow, I do think the phenomenon itself is kind of fascinating, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think interesting co- uh, questions could sort of be maneuvered over towards code switching and other sort of performative senses of race, class, gender. All of the sort of fluidity and performativity that is masculinity, that is femininity, that is that is which is between the binary, that which is again racially sort of interesting, and again um, financial, uh, not financially, um, economically kind of interesting as well. And so I, I think it'd be a fun module to have in some film class. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure where it would shoehorn itself in, but it not would, one taught in Oklahoma. Probably not. Unfortunately, probably not. But um, again, it, it is uh, it's a long held, long sort of uh, lauded mode of performance. I mean, going back to Shakespeare, I think it goes back further than that. It does probably. go, but, but yeah. I mean, as far as like the mind of that, that is ye olden times, right? Yeah. Um. So that's where entertainment begins. Is with Shakespeare, is the Elizabethan yeah. era. Yeah. yeah. We. It turns out we had never done anything fun or groovy before that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but those classics are also all done in drag, which is, I think, part of the humor. I, I, again, I think the humor of those comedies of Shakespeare are, are predicated on the fact that we know that these are boys playing these roles, and that's part of the fun. And what is that fun? And what is the sense of humor? And uh, what is the sense of what is comedic? Where are the rules? Uh, again, the sort of edges that uh, comedy is always breaking, because I think these are always sort of in the in the realm of that which is comedy. And where is comedy being? transgressive and what about transgression itself is funny uh, of itself because I think that is those are the rule that comedy is funny because of somehow there's a rule somewhere being broken which is you know a good quality to have so there you go dear listener your syllabus got much longer I think it's now time to get down to business Dude looks like a ladies what played in my head. <laughs> um, all right, so Chris Columbus, a tour or not? I'm just kidding. That's not, not my no. <laughs> he is a metteur en scène. Is he? Yeah. Two Harry Potters. Home Alone. Two Home Alones. Did you want to? 
I think I don't I know. I thought, he, I, thought he, I thought he had lost in New York too. It could be wrong. May have. Um, what else? Rent. Oh, I did do he rent. Did rent. Yep. I forget about this. <laughs> yep, that's funny. Uh, Home Alone 2. Yep. Uh, Percy Jackson. Oh God. Pixels. Yeah. Did he direct that? He directed Pixels. Good lord. Man. I mean, yeah, he's a better old son. He's a journeyman filmmaker. He is good at what he does. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, but no, I would not put him in the category of the auteur. No. Nine months, stepmom, I think bicentennial man. Yeah, I think finding that through line would be difficult. No, I think it, uh, pretty undeniably Robin and Marsha Williams are the auteurs on this project. Correct, yes. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a star auteur vehicle. Yeah. Well, and, and again, you know, the, sort of this interesting um, world that you get sometimes the married couple co-production right i mean you get this constantly with nolan and emma thompson i forget his wife's name uh but the, his co-producer on pretty much everything that he's done yeah. his you know made mm-hmm. his number two over at sin copy um so and uh, you know gerwig and bombach also this summer having mm-hmm. having the similar you know, emma thomas thomas thank you i knew thomson thompson was wrong. The actress. Emma thompson the is the uh, shakespearean actress yeah, yeah. but anyway all, all that to say like it, it is sort of a an interesting recurring partnership throughout Hollywood is this sort of the, the collaborative couple. I mean, that's something that you mm-hmm. get time and again, whether it's, you know, on screen collaboration or uh, production collaboration. I mean, it's Alfred Hitchcock and Alma Ravel. Yeah. You know, which uh, oftentimes the, uh, the female partner does get sidelined and that is, you know, worth pointing Behind out. every great man is a strong woman mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I mean, inarguably, uh, I mean, there's, there's plenty of, Examples you can point to of uh, filmmakers whose whose wives probably should have been credited as co-directors. It's, yeah, it's a pretty common uh, story once you start digging mm-hmm. into the, the the behind the scenes stuff. Um, sorry, I'm trying to pull this film back up so I can make sure I have everybody's names ready. There we go. Um, we've already talked or alluded to just now with Dustin syllabus and and earlier in the the episode about this film now and what that would look like. Um, yeah. Even, even in the text of this film, uh, Daniel talks about how they like after the fiasco happened, af- after the unveiling, after his secret is out, he uh, has to have supervised visits with the kids and uh, they, he talks about being treated like some sort of deviant. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was how it would have gone down in the nineties and would probably only go down even more horribly. I think uh, so. Today. Yeah. Now, again, it is all also worth mentioning that Daniel's behavior is criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's worth dealing with. But we'll get to that in a second. I guess we should probably unpack sort of the gender performance stuff before we get to the, <laughs> the criminal aspects of his behavior. Um, I don't know. It's I think you, you made some really interesting points, Dustin, just now when you were kind of pitching your syllabus about you know, the inherent performativity of all gender expression, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not something we spend a ton of time talking about on this show, but maybe we, we should spend more time talking about because we talk about a lot of dude cinema. Uh, right. And so much of those stories is, is, you know, how dudes interact with each other and perform for each other. I mean, his, his competition is James Bond. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. and again, Could I do not be a more threatening like presence to be entering right. the picture. Absolutely. And so the, Pierce Brosnan is just this very, very manly kind of man. And of course, Daniel's character is, I think, taught or sort of given a bill of goods that is, un, well, unfair again to Sally Field, that he has been, in some senses, emasculated. That, um, you know, I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to be an artist. You know, I, I want to make these choices. I want to make a stand. And then he can't make a stand for the sort of anti-cigarette smoking thing he does when he get, loses a job. Oh, no, I'm getting beat cancer, uh, which is very funny. The whole um, thing is funny. Him doing the cat and the bird is just a treat. Yeah, he's just he's a very, very talented person. Um, but then, uh, you know, he loses rights to his kids because he can't have a job, not a breadwinner, you know, this kind of stuff. Mm. And so the, 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 he's sort of in this place of a uh, misperformed or underperformed masculinity anyway. Mm. And so what does he do? He goes full, you know, I mean, matronly. Mrs. Doubtfire as as a thing to do, and in so doing, he is transgress. But again, it's a very desexualized kind of woman that he's doing, sure. you know. Sure. And uh, and so it sort of takes a lot of that Tu Wong Fu kind of energy away from the film. Well, and in, in mm. the character mm-hmm. of Doubtfire, right? While while Daniel is 
forming as Doubtfire. He he desexualizes Doubtfire, right? Mm-hmm. Like because Miranda's trying to look to an older woman for guidance on how to navigate, you know, this post-divorce romantic life. And she does not realize her closest confidant is her ex-husband. And mm-hmm. that's obviously not the person you want to be talking about your future romantic prospects with. Never. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never. Uh, once the father of your children is dead, that I can't remember exactly how he phrases it, but yeah, just yeah. straight up says the marriage bed is dead. Yeah, it's, it's, it, the sheets will ever be cold, right? <laughs> it's it's just, so fucking. Oh my and gosh. The scene where they're trying to pick a dress for her for the, the date at yeah. Bridges and he it comes screams, in. Harlot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it is baffling that any of it like manages to land in the moment truly because yeah. there, there are definitely bit, there were bits where i was like i can't believe this is still working on me mm-hmm. i'm like doing the math on like everything that is happening here and it should not be working on me and of course there's a zero percent chance that any amount of prosthesis would not be immediately recognized as like oh you're daniel in drag i no, get out of here yeah. right now i'm gonna call the police again the movie logic stuff right that the, the film is like begging you to just buy into mm-hmm. for it to work uh, yeah, nobody looking twice at how large Mrs. Doubtfire is. Uh, and again, maybe it's because we have a bunch of conservative psychos running around saying how they can spot every trans person in the world. Uh, I, you know, maybe it's just because like that sort of language is out in the world right now and it's mm-hmm. just kind of clanging around in my brain. But, you know, nobody is scrutinizing Daniel slash Mrs. Doubtfire in a in you know, and in, in ni- the 1990s, it's probably is maybe more realistic. There might have been less. Scru- I don't know. Hard to say at this point. I don't I don't know. Things I, are so backwards lately. It's just kind of hard to say, like, how the needles. Because this movie is an incredible success in the 90s. Exactly. And, and so is the birdcage. Yes. It's, both, both are. So very, is Tuong Fu. Which is a I mean, the, the birdcage, unlike this film, is fully, you know, a queer cinema in yeah. that sense. I mean, not, you know, Nathan Lane himself, you know, but Robin being straight playing a gay man, I think, is, you know, the the only sort of you know, um, ciphers, you mm-hmm. know, um, go between, you know, of negotiating that weird world of the nineties, but we got Gene Hackman and drag to escape, you know, at the end of the film, which is really hilarious. Um, a birdcage, uh, watching there. Sorry. Um, but those movies somehow have a past that in this weird cultural moment that we find ourselves in, we're very, very afraid of a man in a dress reading a book to a kid. Um, which I, I think it's, it's just silly. It's just, that's and that's what it's supposed to be. You know, it's. A, I mean, I don't know who's been to a drag show or not. That's listening to the show. I mean, I've been to a few, and they're just fun. They're, they're just dumb. You know, and and, and it's pro wrestling. It's it is pro wrestling. Yes, it's all gender performance. Yes, it's all silliness. It's all for fun. It's a bunch of vaudeville camp. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Milton Burl is turning in his grave. I mean, it's it's truly baffling. Like. To watch vaudeville activities become scandalous again. Mm-hmm. Truly didn't think that would happen outside of the 1880s. Right. It's just, it's just, it's a truly baffling cultural moment, but well, I, it, I don't know how to process at it, some level. It is a weird thing at this moment of strange <clears throat> polarizations that we live in right now, mm-hmm. in which where it's, it's, it's not about having a, an opinion or having a policy or having a point. It's about hating the enemy and uh, these weird sort of other interfaces that define what the enemy is you know mm-hmm. we, we we know more about what a person will vote based on the car they drive and where they buy their food than we would buy sort of anything ideological which is so very very strange in this world that we live in right now but uh, pick up a prius did you know this book no but, no, it but sounds it, like some freakonomic stuff but it, continue but it's the idea that it, by knowing what car you drive we can more accurately predict yeah. if you drive a prius you'll vote in a certain sure. way if you drive a pickup you'll drive in a certain mm-hmm. way if you if you shop at whole foods you'll you know that those kinds mm-hmm. of you like know if you drive an electric car you're probably yeah which progressive is progressive or not a, these sort is, of algorithmic data yeah. points that are worth so much money right now yeah 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 and, it, and and again not that that's to say that you know only republicans drive pickups you know of course they don't um uh, you know we, we we saw the rich ones don't what is the what is the short film that we saw campground campground you know we saw yeah. campground so that's not the, necessarily the case and oh, uh, i know plenty of comrades with pickups yeah yeah and i, and I know plenty of republicans who go to whole foods mm-hmm. you know so that's i mean the but and I know Republicans with electric cars. You what? You think QAnon weirdos don't like the jerk plantain chips at Trader Joe's? <laughs> that sounds delightful. They're so fucking it sounds good, like dude. a good time. Yeah, I know. I, I curse and gives them to us Ooh. all the time. Yeah, 
yeah. every time we're oh, watching that, a movie or a their place. Mm. Delicious. Yeah, they're like dried plantain chips. From Whole yeah. Foods? Uh, or Trader, Trader Joe's. TJ's. But the reason why this movie works mm. is because it's not a blue movie or a red movie is what we're coming back down to mm. this, this sort of world of the, the drag of this movie is that it's, it's, it is simply a, a way in which it is a depolarized, a decoupled, um, and well, it, recalls artifact. An, it recalls an earlier moment of the culture war, right? Mm-hmm. Things were a lot, it was just getting, getting going, right? Right. The moral majority exists by 93, but sure. Rush Limbaugh's out there. 94's contract with America, Newt Gingrich and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is that moment, but, there. but it, they're, they're still in many ways linked to policy mm-hmm. rather than these sort of weird cultural identifying marks. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I think this movie gets a pass is because it's not that thing. And that's why even the birdcage, which is a clearly, you know, you know, a queer bit of cinema, but it's not, again, sort of uh, And there's a Republican senator for crying out loud. That is a character in the film. That's the um, the, the the plot of the birdcage. I guess we need to talk about this movie a little bit more since we um, we didn't watch it for um, review. And it is a movie that I have a lot of affection for. Gene Hackman's character is a senator who is the uh, the father of their sons. Nathan Lane and um, Robin Williams are a couple. And they run this uh, drag bar down in um, uh, South Beach. And um, their son is straight yep. and has, you know, proposed this girl, going to ask her to marry him. And so it's sort of like a meet the parents kind of moment there. And it's like they're they're sort of introducing one to another. And he's a very, very straight-laced, you know, you know, chairman of the Senate Arms Community mm-hmm. kind of Republican. And... Uh, Anyway, uh, and hilarity ensues. Um, Hank Azaria is a delight in this movie, but nonetheless, um, that's the, the the thing there. And it's not a, really about what's wrong or right with Republican politics mm-hmm. or how these um, queer people might be voting. It's mm-hmm. rather just simply about these are these sort of different kind of worlds colliding, and that's the fun and the humor of it. And that 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 it's we're all just having a good time at everybody's expense. And it's it's not didactic in any sense there as well, which I mean, I think sort of takes some of the teeth out of the movie. But this moment where drag does not have that coupled signifier is interesting mm. to think about, you know, as just sort of framing the moment. It is just so interesting, too, that like this film ends with Mrs. Doubtfire as a children's show host. Yeah. Right. Like that is the, the final culmination of like the dinner shenanigans almost go well because Robin or Daniel sits down with his boss, the TV studio uh, exec as Mrs. Doubtfire. And like, he doesn't realize he's Mrs. Doubtfire at first. Cause he's absolutely shit house. Cause right. he's been <laughs> drinking for two, uh, three. If you, you, know, <laughs> you know, if you go by the, the studio, I forget that character's name, the TV exec um, that he works for. Mr. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Mr. Yeah. TV. We'll just, we'll call him Mr. TV. Um, Mr. TV is th- pouring scotch down Daniel's throat. Uh, and uh, yeah, he like sells it. He makes it work. And he's like, yeah, I'm Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm a hip old granny. And he's into it. And yo-yo make a good cup of cocoa, which is yeah. stupid and funny. And I shouldn't laugh at it, but I do every time. Uh, it's well, the, the Euphigenia voice is like really charming. Yeah. Yes. He uh, really found a perfect voice for her. Just as a side note, though, that is not the performance and sort of educational kind of joke that gets him the interview in the first place. I don't see that exec going for Mrs. Doubtfire. I you know what I mean? Again, the sort of reality of the film kind of breaks down there a little bit. Yeah, it's like, because he took the meeting because of the dinosaur stuff yeah. that he saw him doing. Yeah, and, and, and those, this is this is worlds apart from that. From what he first pitched. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It is asking you to make a pretty big leap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, also because his boss like sees everything that goes down after that. Yeah. He sees like the whole incident with saving Stu's life. And after he uh, assaults him. Well, yeah, it's an assault. Po- he poisons him. Yeah. It, he poisons him. Which is assault. <laughs> it's a form of assault. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, yeah, you can't be feeding people things they're allergic to. That is, that is bad to do. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, well, yeah, ask, ask the family in Parasite. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, again, this brings us back to Daniel's criminal behavior, which is a, a lot to ask people to get over. Yeah. Um, I don't know how the movie manages it. 90s magic, I guess. Robin Williams. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. waving its hand uh, yeah. and going, don't worry about it. You're asking too many questions. <laughs> oh, that's right. Of course. It's not I'm that so kind of movie. Film. Yeah, we're not that kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, and that buys you a lot of latitude if you've got a talented central performance. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, yeah, it, it is. It's interesting that the film chooses to let the secret get out to the, and I guess that's, that is taken from the novel that the older two children figure it out pretty quick, mm-hmm. which that's good. Um, how could you, how not? could they not? Right. And the way that they find out is pretty silly. Right. Uh, well, and tiptoes up to the line of some, some real nineties transphobia and manages to swerve it before it gets there. But boy, did we come close? Right. <laughs> you can feel the temperature get hot in your living room as you get to that scene. Uh, where his his son sees him urinating, right? Um, man, so very funny comedy bears. And again, it, it's not transphobia because I mean, drag is different than yes. But well, I, I just mean with the Matthew Lawrence character's reaction to yeah his genitals. But but the nineties were so much were so different yeah. in this sort of political engagement. I think about that Al, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger film with Danny DeVito uh, Jr. No. Mm-hmm. Oh. Which is, uh, again, a, a movie yeah. that everyone just had a good time with, you know, which is a, a movie that sort of posits a, a very interesting trans-adjacent kind of set of questions uh, there for the film. Or just, you know, Jadzia Dax in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. who is a woman who's been a man who's been a woman who's been a man who's been, you know, uh, I've been a father and a mother. And it's, you know, the, there's an on-screen lesbian kiss in the in the show where, where she meets when she was a man, her, his, her ex Wife, you know, and again, we don't want to get into the weeds of DS9, but it's a thing as that much ha- as you want us to, as much as I would love <laughs> everyone to, yeah. But it, it, it's a move that it's a move that had some controversy, uh-huh. but the it, it's like this is just a different kind of thing at this moment, and uh, yeah, I yeah, I, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it is a outgrowth of decades of very vocal voices telling folks that these are things that they need to care about Mm -hmm. and that, you know, they're coming for your children. I don't know if it's, you know, just more visibility and more people asking for rights that they are entitled to. And it's pushed back to that. Like it's, it's hard to say because there's so many things that have changed in the last 30 years. It's hard to pinpoint exactly where the shift starts happening. It definitely seems to be centered around like the ever, increasing tensions of the culture war right unfortunately and it's again it, it, we are we've done a good job to separate transness and dragness from each other throughout this episode but they're linked because they keep getting linked by weird bills that yeah don't make much sense uh and uh are gonna be and you know there's just a concerted effort ongoing to make queer existence in public life illegal. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you can see that with the new Supreme court rulings. Um, and I don't know, man, we're in a tough spot. Well, and I think, and, the, and I don't know how Mrs. Doubtfire relates to all of it, but it so clearly does at the same time. Well, I think the movie does something that's really kind of interesting. That is part of the concern. I think as well, it, there's nobody who's seeing Robin Williams living his life as Mrs. Doubtfire that thinks to themselves, I want to do that, right? He's sort of driven by a set of circumstances. He's making a choice. He's not even a proper drag queen, right? Yeah. But he's, you know, he's doing what he's doing. But you can think about, again, these other drag films or Tu Wong Fu or whatever. No one's seeing this and going, man, that's, that's you know, um, it, 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 in some way, by knowing this exists, someone who would, who is not, you know, interested is going to become interested in doing this thing. But I think the real concern is that if you see a drag queen, it's going to, everyone's going to catch drag. If you yeah. see a trans person, you're going to catch trans. If you if you under, if you know that your teacher's gay, you're going to catch gay. Well, I mean, and that is some of the the narrative that's being pushed, right? right. It's like well, these kids aren't actually trans; they just want to be popular. Yeah, I mean, that's, you're hearing shit like that, and, and that, that yeah, which does not track in any no. sort of sensible kind of way, right? No, and, and again, it it is you know a time. I think it's time and place and performer, like we said, like Robin in this film and in the Birdcage, like buys a lot of public goodwill, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we, we don't really have a performer centric culture anymore in a way that like enables that sort of star led vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, what's who's there's nobody even like Rod. I mean, Kevin Hart, I guess is like the next like comedy star to become huge movie I think star. The, but, I mean, well, I mean the closest adjacent thing is Tyler Perry. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Okay. I mean that's, that's a huge thing, and it's a, it's a huge, very huge popular business. thing within church culture. I think as well. Yeah, sure. church people love Medea. Yeah, which is again fascinating. Well, you're also talking about the you know 
very complicated differences in t- between the black church and like white evangelicalism, sure. right? Like that's that's its whole own like. Well, world. I'm talking about a lot of white people who like. The <laughs> really? Oh, I thought you were talking. Oh, no. interesting. Well, I didn't. Yeah. Let's, okay. Let's roll backwards for a second. Um, who's seen Tootsie? I haven't. I have not. I haven't either. And this film is unfavorably compared to Tootsie by Roger Ebert when it comes out. Really? Yeah, okay. He does not like this movie. He gives it two and a half stars, I think. As or, compared to Tootsie, which he gives more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which he thinks is like actually a more valuable film. I mean, both films, and he Ebert points this out in his review, like both films kind of center on their male lead, like learning to be a better version of themselves mm-hmm. as a woman. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of short shrifted that. We kind of got caught up on yeah. culture war stuff. Yeah, you started yeah. to allude to this, right? Like in this sort of emasculated situation that Daniel, or at least he feels he's being emasculated is maybe the better way to tackle it. But like in this feeling of emasculation and his pivot to embracing like matronly womanhood, he becomes this like really great father figure. Be, well, he becomes a better person. Yeah. Well, right? yeah, we shouldn't gender it at all. Yeah. yeah. He just, I guess he becomes a better parent mm-hmm. um, that he might not have had the chops to be before because he was too focused on being fun. Uh, and, and that really like we don't get a, a lot of what the central conflict in Daniel and Miranda's marriage was, but it definitely like seems to be fun parent boss parent mm-hmm. was the dynamic yeah. and that, that was like the main problem. Well, she said, right. He, he never keeps a job. He's mm-hmm. she has to clean up the messes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, she, she's an artist, but she parlays that into uh, sort of interior design corporate work. work. Yeah. yeah. Corporate work. And he seems to resent her for that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a sellout. Uh, yeah. He calls exactly. her that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In that first big fight. Yeah. I mean, that's to me, I think, another hallmark of like what works about this film is like the emotional stakes are very real. That mm-hmm. fight they have while the kids are listening, like is very real. His monologue to the judge while like heartfelt and a little too movie, like feels very emotionally honest. Uh, and it is also feels honest when the judge is like, okay, cool dude, you're an actor. That's literally your job. I don't believe you, you. lie for a living. Yeah. yeah. It's very fun that that's what the movie, how the movie resolves that scene because yeah. it's, yeah, that's how it would be resolved in the real world. It's yeah, one I of the few moments where the movie like does actually exist in reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just you know be followed with a huge fine and maybe a couple of days in county. Because what you <laughs> did was, yeah, yeah, you assaulted your your uh, ex wife's boyfriend mm-hmm. in public. <laughs> yeah, and and again pretended to be you know I mean basically in violation of the custody in order. violation yeah. of the custody order, and yeah. and so yeah, that's not okay. Well, and, you know, chased off, uh, made it so she would only get applicants from him. Like the whole like you get back in your cage. Oh, my God. The 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 montage of it really does make Miranda look so dumb. Mm -hmm. And that is maybe a a big drawback of some of giving Robin enough room to have like a lot of improv and a lot of a lot of space for shenanigans is the voices he's like, how is Miranda not putting two and two together? Something like, is she just really think the people of San Francisco are this deranged? Like, <laughs> what does she think? <laughs> maybe is going on with her personal ad. I've seen video of the hate. Maybe. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's nah, very silly. Uh, that's a good bit. Yeah. I, it's again, we've talked about Daniel's behavior being a problem and that, that is pretty low, pretty dirty. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a miracle that the film I, I totally get people who don't like this movie. Like, I, I think it's very reasonable to see his behavior and go, nah, dude. Well, and again, it hates the women. It, ma- it makes her again this sort of, you know, cold, True. you know, she's a shrew. She's no fun at all. Um, the cut scene of the neighbor, the uh, very, very busybody neighbor who's played by the same actress who plays Mrs. Deagle from the gremlins. Great. If you remember her. And she is playing the exact same kind of character. <laughs> And Robin is mean to her and abuses, you know, and like tells her a way to sort of fertilize her plants. Yeah, sabotages her garden sab- by getting her to put piss on her flowers. You know, and it's like it's just it's it's it, it's very funny. I, I mean, yeah. I've, I've watched the the deleted scene bits, but yeah, it, it, the movie sort of doesn't care for women. Very well, I much. mean, the you know, it keeps positioning Mrs. Doubt Daniel as Mrs. Doubtfire is morally superior to Miranda, right? Mm-hmm. Like she starts to kind of shit talk Daniel a little bit in front of the kids and like. Mm-hmm. He really admonishes her as yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire about bad mouthing their father. Uh, I, there's another specific example, but I can't think of it right now. But there's a couple of beats where, like, she starts to do something, and like, as Mrs. Doubtfire comes, he comes in as the voice of like moral authority. Yeah, and it's it's pretty detestable. Yeah, it, once you 
stop thinking about how charming Robin Williams is for five seconds. Mm-hmm. Do we have any like big analysis that we haven't touched on outside of like, boy, isn't he just kind of a bad dad? I, I think there's a Freud thing here, you know, yeah. with the id, the ego and the super ego and that, that Robin Williams's character, Daniel is an id that needs control mm-hmm. and he needs to sublimate that energy. And that's what sort of how the film ends is that he's able to sublimate this sort of anarchic energy into the role of Euphigenia Doubtfire. And that's, you know, that's how you create civilization. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Freud's civilizations and its discontents seems to be somewhere in the mindscape of the the way in which the screenplay sort of runs itself out uh, towards that role as a children's um, star. And really, I mean, that becomes, I think, Robin's trademark, right? We see it as Genie. We see it, I think, in a new way as Jack. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that becomes... Patch Adams, yeah. yeah. Um, Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he really kind of begins a new phase of his career off of this film as, you know, family performer. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the way through to like Bicentennial Man and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, Arthur mentioned this, this sort of the 90s being the era of the uh, obscene father yeah. as well. Again, another Freudian Totally, because I think a lot of the Santa Claus as well, right, which is mm-hmm. kind of in the wake of this. Mm-hmm. Tim Allen doing the same thing, but... Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Definitely in that same vein, for sure. And, you know, so tied up in... Spielberg. I mean, Spielberg's mm-hmm. obscene fathers become such a big touchstone of pop culture, American pop culture. And like, it really does feel like such a part of the nineties. I mean, I mentioned big daddy earlier. I think the film's 98. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it really is, uh, baked into the DNA of this decade. And I think obviously a lot of that can be chalked up to increasing yeah. divorce rates throughout the seventies sure. you know, and eighties yeah. and, you know, culminating in, in, and recognizing father doesn't know best. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Again, complicating the, the already invented nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, that is kind of what's interesting is, you know, we talked about Freud, maybe pivot to young for a second, but like Mrs. Doubtfire is sort of this archetypical, you know, collective grandmother the crone well this image of like the perfect grandmother right Mm -hmm. like she's just stern enough to make you be a better version of yourself but she's cool and she's kind of blue and like tells dirty jokes and you know will teach you something useful and will play soccer with you and you know I don't know how she's not knocked her teeth out yet. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. So there's, there's something sort of interesting. And Columbus, like specifically, and you know, if you watch like behind the scenes stuff from when the film was being produced, uh, Christopher Columbus, like talks about that was kind of the image they had for Mrs. Doubtfire was this, this sort of idea of the perfect grandmother Mm -hmm. yeah, and just, you know, sort of Mary Poppins times 10 floating in to save the day. And it, again, I don't know, we, we kind of poo pooed gendering it a second ago, but it is interesting that like, the only way Daniel knows how to be a good parent is to embody more feminine characteristics. Right. So there's something interesting at work there for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Alrighty. Well, um, I think it's probably time to pull his train in the station and render a verdict. What do we say? Shelf or trash for Euphigenia Doubtfire? I go to you first, picker of the film. Dalton, is it still te- testing the test of time? Is it passing, passing the test of time? You know, I gotta go, yeah. I mean, it's one of his strongest performances. I think it's one of his most iconic performances. And as far as, um, you know, beloved figures who have come and gone and have left us a body of work, I think this is a really fun one and an interesting one. I mean, obviously, we could have spent more time talking on it and we, mm-hmm. we've already spent a, put a lot of mileage on this one. So, yeah, I think it's a valuable film, if, if only for a time and a place and, a you know, just to show you we, we could go. You know, we could go back to some. Sometimes it actually was better before. Mm-hmm. Not always, very rarely. But some attitudes have actually gotten worse <laughs> somehow. And, you know, maybe we could course correct a little bit. And I don't know Mrs. Doubtfire is going to be the thing that makes us do that. But it's part of the conversation. For sure, for sure. What do you say, Arthur? Uh, yeah, I think I'm kind of with Dalton. Considering that the uh, high concept studio comedy is dead, I think this is a, a fun reminder of when we were a country and we used to make things. Uh, and so uh, I think I'd very just gently put it on the shelf. I mean, you've probably seen this movie. Like you've, yeah. you've made that decision. So yeah. I, I would shelf it for myself though. I, I like it. I think for the same reasons, I'm going to do the opposite because it is the sort of text of Robin Williams in some ways, mm-hmm. uh, as far as him as great comedic sort of star vehicle actor. And uh, it's going to always be streaming. 
I really do. It I probably think, I think will it will be. never not be streaming. Yeah. And uh, you say that. Well, you know, you never know. But um, for that reason, I'm going to very gently shelf it. Until it becomes uh, gently a tax trash it, Gently trash it, I should say, as you gently shelf it. Um, but for almost the exact same reasons. Like, yeah, you can probably just catch it when you want to catch it. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Yeah. Those are our thoughts on this. Um, you can tell us your thoughts, and Dalton's going to tell you how. That's right. If you want to tell us about your scheme to get your kids back, you can email us. <laughs> Good trash genre cast at gmail.com. What are your toxic dad traits? You know, what kind of party should you not have let your kid throw? Uh, good trash genre cast at gmail.com. We're also on the socials at good trash media, uh, wherever you put, you know, in people's internet contacts into your, your phone. I don't know. Good trash media on the socials. Last but certainly not least, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM to help us keep the lights on, uh, help us uh, pay for equipment, help us buy movies that uh, we want to watch that are not on streaming or that people pick for their Patreon picks. So that's right. That's a thing you can do. If you go to patreon.com forward slash GTM, you can pick a movie for us to discuss on this very show, just like I did. Uh, I, I didn't give us any money. I just, you know, I'm a co-host, so Arthur lets me occasionally. He's, he wields that power so judiciously of giving mm-hmm. us our host picks back and taking them away. I give and take away. That's yes. why we better make sure we keep doing good host picks, Dustin. <laughs> Blessed be your name. Yeah, be, be careful. He might take our host picks away. Don't make him watch something he's going to be too mad about. Um, anyway, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Pick a movie for us to watch or pick a movie. Uh, have Arthur pick a movie to send you to watch. All kinds of fun stuff over there. Uh, Arthur, next week we'll be talking about another film, I assume. I assume so. Are we doing another movie show? We are. Okay. We're going to do one more? You got you signed on for I'm, one I'm more? I'm up for one more. Are we entering... <laughs> we're, we're bringing an, that one back. We are. Are we bringing that bit back? Okay, good. Are we entering yet another marathon? We are. Oh, wow. It's just full steam ahead and uh, do another one. Let's go for it. I love uh, it. What I'm very excited about, one I'm calling a series of coincidences. Interesting. And we start with a simple plan. Okay. Yes, dude. Yeah, Sam Raimi's Coen Brothers movie. I honestly can't believe we haven't talked about this movie on the show before. Uh, I, I like A Simple Plan a lot. I'm excited to revisit it. Sounds like a good time. And, th- and again, the title of the marathon is... A Series of Coincidences. A series of Coincidences. Well, if we're starting with A Simple Plan, I can imagine what sorts of films might follow in this series. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing... Does Dustin get a host pick or is this already locked in? He gets a host pick. He gets a host pick, and he can play within the rules or not. Okay, interesting. At the end, right? Yep. Okay, good. So we'll, I'll, I'll have a better idea of how you're coincidenting those coincidences. So, okay. Well, there you go, dear listener. You just keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>